0: Don't be scared. This is the podcast that always leaves the light on. This is Monster Under the Bed, the podcast that takes some of the fears and myths in our society and busts them wide open. My name is Alar Tankler.
1: younger i like to sleep in the light but now because my sister likes to sleep in the dark i got used to it i might have been a little scared of the dark
0: okay why do you think darkness is scary
1: well maybe because i can't see anything it's all like black
0: so what do you want to see
1: Sometimes I like when I see my sister in in her bed.
0: That was my daughter, Liv, who is seven. And until fairly recently, sorry, when she was younger, we kept the light on in the corridor when she went to bed. Or um, she had a unicorn-shaped nightlight just right next to her. Now she's pretty cute, so we went along with that. But I have a confession to make. Sometimes when my family is away, or I'm on a business trip somewhere by myself, I also leave a small light on at night in, in the bathroom or maybe in the hallway. And I'm 38 years old, not so cute anymore or not. Leaving a light on uses electricity and it wears out the light bulb too. So I started wondering what is the environmental cost of these monsters under the bed that I'm worried about? Was I causing greenhouse gas emissions because I was a little bit afraid of the dark? And I realized that the monsters under the bed are just one of many myths that keep us from doing the rational thing. So here I am. I decided to do a podcast about these myths. My name is Alar Tankler and I work at the European Investment Bank, the EU Bank. We have all kinds of experts here who can help me explore different fears and beliefs that people have which are costing us as a society. So in each episode of this podcast, we'll fight one imaginary monster under the bed and hopefully win the battle for a more rational way of doing things. So that you don't miss an episode, subscribe to A Monster Under the Bed on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, Player.fm, or wherever you get your podcast from. And also, let me know if you can think of a monster we should expose on future episodes. Get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R, or you can just tag at E-I-B. We'll start off by going back to the actual monsters under the bed, if there is such a thing. I wanted to know how much greenhouse gas are the monsters under the bed, or at least our fear of them, generating. But first, why do we fear the monsters under the bed in the first place? I decided to ask an expert. It was pretty difficult to arrange for a sit-down talk with her because she is 11, and she's also my daughter. Her name is Maya. I asked her why some people are scared of the dark
2: because they can't see anything and their imagination they think that oh if i can't see anything maybe there's something in the dark that i don't know of and they don't want to be surprised when it's dark and you hear something even like a little if like somebody rolls over in their bed they think I can't see what what why that noise was made. I can only hear it, and I've got no idea what what made that noise. And so, well, yeah, they they start thinking that um oh no, there's a thief in the house.
0: Ah, so you're you're more worried about thieves than monsters.
2: My sister is worried about thieves and kidnappers and stuff like that. You can ask her.
0: Really, you're scared of thieves and kidnappers? Yeah. Not monsters?
2: Uh, No, because I know
1: monsters are not real.
0: Ah, okay. But thieves and kidnappers are real. Yeah. Okay, so that makes them scarier.
1: hmm
0: I'm proud to reiterate that I am the father of such rational-sounding children. And you can't argue with the data provided by these kids. They either were or had been afraid of the dark when trying to go to sleep. And they preferred to sleep with some light on. Now, before I went, to find out how much the planet is being warmed because of these supposed monsters and kidnappers, I wanted to understand what was behind this fear that some people had. I called up a psychologist who has had a lot of experience counseling kids. She also happens to be my mother. Her name is Mary Dunkler, and she's based in Estonia. For starters, I asked if I had been afraid of the dark as a kid.
3: I... Cannot recall that you were afraid, but uh, I also cannot recall that you were alone in darkness. I think this is connected with being alone in darkness.
0: Ah, so so I, was, uh, I was most of the time sharing the bedroom with, with someone, with, either with you or, or with, with uh, one of my siblings.
3: Yes, yes, that's true. Okay,
0: so maybe the reason why I don't feel comfortable in the dark by myself now as a grown-up, is because I never had to adjust to being alone in the dark as a child. But I also wanted to know what psychology tells us about why people are afraid of the dark at all.
3: I believe one of the main reasons is that uh, in a darkness, you don't control your environment. You don't know what's happening around you. You don't see anything. Uh, And uh, as we... Uh, Normal people who have a good eyesight, we take so many stimuli through our visual Mm -hmm. experiences. When we are put in the darkness, uh, we don't have these stimuli and we don't know what's happening around us. But then we have to make a difference between fear and phobia. Mm -hmm. And phobia means that this fear is very strong Mm -hmm. and is already disturbing the person's uh, normal life. And this may have uh, several different reasons. Uh, There can be some experiences from the childhood when a child has been left uh, in the darkness as a punishment. Mm -hmm. And uh, remembering this uh, experience, there can also be something that happened in a darkness that uh, was not pleasant and that created a great fear. And then uh, the person can remember it the whole life. There can also be some stories that have been told.
0: I don't know that the European Investment Bank has any specialists who could authoritatively tell me that there are no monsters under the bed and that there is nothing to be afraid of in the dark. But I do know that there are some people working here who should be able to tell me how much this fear of the dark is costing the environment. It is raining and they do work in another building but I, I guess I better pay them a visit. So I'm now going to uh, meet Wouter Maindersma, who's a climate change specialist in our uh, safeguards and quality management department at the European Investment Bank. And what he does is he measures the climate impacts of uh, all of the projects that the bank does so i'm hoping that he knows also how to measure the climate impact of uh, monsters under the bed we'll see so wouter um do you have kids uh i don't do you do you live by yourself or you live with a partner
4: yeah i live with my wife okay
0: and um so I assume if you don't have kids, you don't have the need to leave the light on at that night because you're afraid
4: of the dark or anything. Yeah, we generally don't leave the light on, that's true.
0: Well, uh, I got to tell you, I leave the light on sometimes when I'm by myself and I leave the light on um, for my, uh, my daughter who's, who's seven years old and, uh, and she sometimes has uh, uh, difficulty f- uh, falling asleep without the light on. So we've been wondering what's the climate impact of those lights that are being left on. So how would we go
4: about measuring that impact? So it's a set of calculations that we would make. Um, we would, for example, first look at a, at a single household. Um, we would uh, think about the number of lights you would leave on. Let's say you only leave the light on in the bedroom, then we were talking about uh, one, one light. Uh, you would think about how long you leave the light on. That depends on how long you sleep. I guess, let's say eight hours a night, typically. Uh, We would look at um, the electricity consumption of your light bulb, so the the amount of watts that your light bulb uh, consumes. And we would then multiply this by the time that the light is on. We would multiply this, again, by the amount of nights in a year, if you would like to know the answer per year. Uh, and then we would look at uh, the number of households, so the number of people that leave their light on in the night. We would multiply that um, with the electricity consumption of the light bulb per night, and then we have the, the total electricity consumption of leaving the light on for a certain amount of people.
0: Do you think we could do kind of a back of the envelope calculation? I looked up there are in in the EU. There there's 220 million households. 65 million households with at least one child. Um, so I would say, you know, let's say roughly half of those households have a child of, uh, of um, less than nine years old. That's a pretty uh, rough estimate, but let's go with that. In addition, there's 70 million single-person households, and a lot of these are maybe elderly people, but let's say a proportion of those as well leave a light on. So I would say... I would say 50 million households in the EU. Let's say they leave one light on for, you know, let's say they do it for not every night. Let's say that they do it for 200 nights. So that's 50 million um, times 200 nights per year. That's already what that's. uh, 200 nights a year? Let's say
4: that. Okay. Well, we're talking really big uh, numbers here, Alain. So we have 50 million households. We have eight hours. And we have 200 nights. And then uh, the calculation doesn't work because I shouldn't have put hours here. And then we are talking about um, 80 billion hours, 80 billion hours, 80 billion hours. Uh, While we were speaking, I Googled the average energy consumption of a light bulb. I found a random figure of 15 watts. Um, and now we can um, we can multiply these hours by these watts and then we have uh, so-called watt hours Uh and then we can divide this amount by a thousand to arrive at kilowatt hours Uh and if we now have a typical emission factor, which are the emissions per kilowatt hour to produce the electricity, for example, from burning coal or burning natural gas. But it could also be from using solar or wind energy. Um, It it varies in the EU and France. It's much lower because there's more nuclear in Germany. It could be higher because there's more coal. But let's assume 500 grams per kilowatt hour. And then I'm talking about grams of CO2. Prevalent. Okay. Then we get a tremendous amount of grams, namely 600 billion grams. Now, nobody nobody can work with that many grams. So I suggest we, we convert it to, to tons. Okay. And at the EIB, we usually we report our carbon footprint in kilotons. But for now, we can work with tons, and then we need to divide these grams by uh, 1,000 to arrive at kilograms, so roughly the size of a liter of water, and another 1,000 to arrive at tons. So then we are talking 600,000 tons of CO2. Wow,
0: that sounds like a lot.
4: Yeah, it's 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 roughly the um, it, it represents roughly the emissions of a hundred thousand households in the EU. Wow, in yeah.
0: in a year. In a year, wow. So, so from that, it sounds like um, leaving a light on uh, just because people are afraid of uh, monsters under the bed uh, has a pretty big impact on the environment. But how does that, like, if you look at it? in comparison with some of the other things that have an impact on the environment, some of the other things that we do in our homes, how does that stack up? Is that a a big impact or is that relatively minor compared to everything else that we do?
4: If you would do a similar thing and you would take, for example, the energy consumption of um, the heating in your house, or you would uh, think about the car that you drive, or you would think about the food that you consume, then this light is peanuts. If you're looking at the household, then by far the largest impact is flying. If you fly, some if you regularly fly, if you go on holiday, if you go on business trips, that is by far the largest part of your impact.
0: But here at the uh, at the European Investment Bank, we don't look at it from a household point of view. We look at economy as a whole and we look at different sectors in the economy. How How do we calculate... Uh, the greenhouse gases from uh, uh, from different economic activities can you can you give us an example
4: yeah I can give you an example uh, so here at the European investment bank we invest in a lot lot of different types of projects right we fin- we, we finance and it, it ranges from education to healthcare to energy to transport and to industry and and just to, just to be uh,
0: very clear about this. Everything has a climate impact, right? It's not just the uh, you know the energy production that has a climate impact. It's not just you know burning co- coal that has an en- energy impact. You know, having building a school also has an energy impact, right?
4: That's correct. Almost all activities that we in society that we that we have they have they consume energy. We need energy. We need materials for that, so that causes. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions because we consume fuels. Um, However, some sectors have a much higher climate impact than others, Um, industry, energy and transport and to a certain extent also agriculture, they have the largest climate impact. What we mostly do is we look at um, the, uh, the resources and the energy consumed in these projects Um, and the typical emissions per unit of resource. And by multiplying these two aspects with one another, we calculate the carbon footprint of an investment. What we also do um, for many types of projects is we calculate the climate impact of a project and we then uh, um, we assign a cost to this impact. So we have a price per tonne of carbon, an internal shadow carbon price. Um, And by applying this price to the emissions, we put a price, we put a monetary value of this impact and we make sure that this impact is included in the economic cost benefit analysis.
0: Okay, so we try to make sure that uh, that the the benefit that the project creates outweighs that uh, cost to the environment, so to say.
4: Exactly. And maybe, maybe an interesting example would be uh, a, a public transport. So the EIB finances a lot of uh, public transport projects and they bring many types of benefits. Uh, they connect uh, different, different regions. They provide um, employment. Um, they could lead to uh, a lower emissions of, um, of harmful uh, substances. They could even improve safety. If you ride on a a train or if you ride in a metro, you would have less uh, traffic accidents. You have less um, congestion, for example. But another important impact, if you manage to get people from a car into a metro or into a train, then the energy consumption per passenger and also the emissions per passenger become much lower. So when we calculate... Um, the climate impact of such a project, we think it's important to report the absolute emissions, so the actual emissions of the project, but it's also interesting to indeed make this comparison to a a, a plausible alternative situation. And for something like a metro, we would then um, do an analysis and we would determine if we had not built this metro, what would have been the likely modality, the transport modality that these people, that these passengers would have used to go to work, to go to school or to go shopping? So we compare the emissions of the metro project with the emissions of the baseline, which would be driving, taking the bus, cycling, for example. Okay.
0: Okay. So apparently, leaving the light on at night is peanuts compared to some of the other ways we impact the environment. Even if my assumptions about the prevalence of the fear were rather high, it was more than a half a million tons of greenhouse gas, just to keep these evil spirits at bay. I went back to Mehdi, the psychologist, also known as my mother, to see if there are ways to help people deal with their fear of darkness.
3: There there are different kinds of treatments, but uh, uh, especially when we speak about children, uh, one uh, way of uh, treating this uh, strong fear can be just being together with the child in darkness, ah. not leaving the child alone, not not saying there is nothing in the darkness, but just being in this darkness together with the child, maybe holding even hand or, or touching so that the child knows that there is someone also uh, with them and uh, creating these kind of safe experiences of uh, being in a darkness.
0: This was encouraging. Maybe we can all hold hands in the darkness and reduce our CO2 emissions. But she also told me something really alarming. She thinks people are actually becoming more and more afraid of the dark.
3: But then I, I believe that one of the reasons why more and more people are afraid of darkness is also that we are so urbanized, we, we live in, an, in so much light, so we actually don't experience the total darkness very often. When mm-hmm. we walk around in a city, even if, if it's the evening, all the streetlights are uh, there and, and we don't experience actual darkness. And when we uh, happen to uh, be in the actual total darkness, then it's so much more frightening because it's so unusual.
0: I also went back to the two experts you heard in the beginning of the show for for some advice. I asked them how to deal with the fear of the dark.
1: Uh I know. I know. What? <laughs> so if you can if you, for example, your parents put on a music, a kind of music, so you know they're always there.
0: Ah, uh, so you can hear your parents. Yeah. If you can hear your parents then that yeah. makes it better. Yeah.
2: I like knowing that my parents are there, and then I can tell myself this is not real. My parents are there. They're, if it were, then they're going to do something about it.
0: What's not real?
2: Like maybe th- something I hear, or I think monster or thief or something like that.
0: Okay. And then if you hear your parents, then you know that it's not there. because it's otherwi- my imagination. Otherwise, they would do something.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. And here's another tip.
2: I think it's especially scary when you've just, I don't know, watched a movie with some kind of villain, or or read a book that's somewhat scary, and then it's hard to go to sleep because your head keeps like you're thinking about the book or the movie, and you're like uh, you're thinking about like the bad things that happen at the uh, uh, at the movie. And you're scared that it might happen, like, right now.
0: So what do you do?
2: I think I just picture the, f- like, one of my um, dreams or things that I want to do someday. If I want to read a, s- a scary book before bedtime, I read the scary book and then I li- read li- one of Liv's fairy princess um, books and it helps me go to sleep, really. <laughs>
0: So apparently, a common cure is what the specialists call exposure therapy, and this means exposing the patient to non-threatening doses of darkness. So I'll be doing a little exposure therapy on myself now. So I've turned off all the lights here in the studio, and I have to say it does already feel a little different. I don't know if you can also tell by my voice. Anyway, I need to get out of here quick. <clears throat> no, no, I, I, I can do this, but. The the team here at Monster Under the Bed will be tackling other myths and fears in the next episodes of the show. We will look at what drives us to make even more consequential and economically questionable choices than leaving a light on. Oh, this is creepy. So tune in again next week for another episode. And in the meantime, subscribe to the podcast. And get in touch with me on Twitter to tell me how you've gotten rid of your fear of the dark. I'm at Alar Tankler. Bye now.